You're listening to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast with Mike Chappell and Dave Griffiths. Inside and outside the Fox 59 CBS4 Podcast Studio, this is the Colts Blue Zone Podcast. I am Dave Griffiths. Mike Chappell is joining us over the internet. And Joe Hopkins finally back once again with me in studio. You've been here. You've been gone. You've been here. You've been gone. Are you here to stay yet? The people need to know. Hopefully. Hopefully I can be back and be back for good. Um, although I I see some places rolling back in their COVID restrictions. So we'll see what happens here at the office. But I like being around people. So hopefully I get to stay. We're going to have some things to deal with if, uh, if indeed this um, Marion County goes into a uh, masks required scenario, which it seems like mayor said earlier today. But nevertheless, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. You haven't logged on to this podcast to listen about masks and covid. You, you're here to talk about the Colts, understandably so. And uh, we have a great show to come. The, we'll react to a, a significant signing in the NFL and the AFC. In fact, we'll talk about who the Colts breakout player of 2020 might be. And uh, we're talking non-rookies right now. Rookies are always candidates to break out. But somebody maybe who's been on the roster or just coming onto the roster this year who might break out in 2020. We'll talk about which Colts are most likely to win major NFL awards at the end of this season, which would, of course, be like... Colts offensive or defensive or rookie or all that stuff of the year. But first, we'll begin with the uh, latest of the NFL's response to the COVID-19 pandemic, meaning that the NFL, according to multiple reports this week, plans to cancel weeks one and four of the preseason. And uh, that would leave the Colts, the Redskins and the Bills. So they'd be home against the Redskins August 24th on the road against the Bills August 29th. Uh, and the two that they would lose would be games against the Philadelphia Eagles at Lucas Oil Stadium and then a game against the Cincinnati Bengals over in Cincinnati. Uh, Mike, even though this is the seems to be a working plan for now, based on how many uh, pretty legitimate news operations or reporters have tweeted this out or reported this, uh, it, it's not definite uh, as of now and probably because. Uh, the NFLPA might or the NFL might not think that's enough. So right now it's this, the working plan uh, appears to be two games gone, two games on, at least that's, that's for now. Yeah. And one thing people need to keep in mind, we mentioned again, Washington and Buffalo are the Colts remaining. Can you imagine no, no Cincinnati? I mean, really, they're not right. going to finish against Cincinnati. But one thing to keep in mind is that, the idea is to have, as far as games, one home, one away, and that works well. I'd have to look at all the schedules. Maybe that doesn't work for every team. Maybe some team had two home, two away. That will require an adjustment. And once you start tinkering with, with one team's schedule, there's a domino effect. So we'll see how that goes. And the whole thing that people simply need to keep in mind, in, in, including us, this is fluid. We, we don't know. that, that we, In two weeks, there may be no preseason games. Maybe there's one. Maybe there's scrimmages. Uh, the idea to, to, to trim the schedule primarily, I think, is to give players more time to get into football shape. But as, as much as these guys are doing on their own, it's kind of like remote learning for kids in high school and grade school. It's not the same when you're on your own and then when you get back to school. So these guys are going to have to take time or you're going to have 20 guys, you know, pulling hamstrings. So, but they, we, we've talked about this and people get tired of it until they can cross T's and dot I's on other items. Players just positive. What do you do on and on? We don't know fans in the stands. 
We don't know. One thing that the league has always stressed is is competitive balance. No one should have an edge. What what happens if Indiana, we're in good shape and they can have 50% fans and California is still a raging, you know, fire and they don't. Will the league allow one team to have fans, another team not to have fans? Uh, But no, this is, and again, this is a second shoe to fall because remember the Hall of Fame week was uh, canceled, postponed, if you want to say postponed, until next year. So everything that they're doing up until now, they've had time, time's running out. So in the next two or three weeks, we're really going to see what the NFL believes it can do and what it can do. And Mike, to your point about the uh, NFL still having uh, eyes to dot and T's to cross, the NFLPA will have a player uh, league-wide player call on Thursday. That, according to uh, uh, Randall Cobb, tweeted that out. Houston receiver, so just encouraging players to get on the call and know what's going on right now. So um, there, there are obviously things to still happen, and, and um, it seems like that's going to be the case even up until uh, the start of the season, and it could change at at any moment. Well, and, and one interesting note that I don't understand is that there may be talks about reducing roster sizes for training camp. And I, and I don't understand why you would do that. You're going to, I've written a couple of stories about it. I think it's going to be really hard for undrafted rookies to make your roster now because you're, re- you're really going to be focusing on, okay, who, are, who do we think we can get speed right away and win with right away? Well, that, that's returning players and, people you've added into the into the regular season or, or during the offseason can you give these undrafted guys have missed all the offseason work but it, the idea of reducing rosters you're going to want to still ease veterans in somewhat into practices in these games but you still need next number of players to ease uh practice reps and, and, and maybe even game reps if there's two games so i would think the nflpa will really put a line in the sand about reducing roster sizes because now you're you're really impacting their workforce yeah joe i was going to say if if there are preseason games which at least it seems like the plan is to do that now i I can't imagine the nfl uh really being able to take too much from the nfl players association in terms of roster size because teams are going to want to test especially the bottom of that roster and see who makes that final 53 for the regular season yeah exactly and i mean the Players are pretty adamant that they don't want preseason at all. I've seen several players mm-hmm. saying mm-hmm. we don't want any preseason games. So then to reduce the roster size and make your more prominent players play more during the preseason, I just can't see that being something the NFLPA would go for. So that's really a tough call for the NFLPA because if, um, if in fact, you want preseason games, then you want more people on the roster. But if the players themselves say, hey, we maybe we don't want preseason games because of everything that's going on, then maybe the NFLPA doesn't have as much, uh, what's the word, uh, as much of a leverage. strong, yeah, as much leverage over the NFL to say, no, we, we want to keep 90 guys on the roster. So if the NFLPA, of course, their job is to represent the players' interests, and it would certainly be in the interest of a bunch of people to have 90 men on a roster instead of, I don't know, opposed to like 60 if you have just 53 and a couple that you might have a practice squad or a 50, well, 65, whatever. Go ahead, Mike. Well, again, I don't know the downside of having, because you're not, somebody would say, well, finances. Well, not really, because you, you don't pay players their salaries until the regular season starts. So you pay, and, you know, veterans get like $1,000 a week, and I'm not sure what it is for rookies, $700. So it's not 
finances. Now, you're if you want to talk about controlling the virus, you know, it's easier to do it if you lop 20 players off the roster, I guess. I don't know. But I'd need to hear the rationale behind lo- limiting rosters when if I'm a coach, I want, you know, even if I know, if they sit here today, Ballard and Reich, and you hold a gun to their head and said, who are your 53? I think they could probably tell you a good portion of their 53. But you still need players to practice. You still need players to have in games if there are games. Now, again, if there's no games, that's different. But I, I just don't understand the rationale. Maybe someone smarter than me, and there's a bunch of folks smarter than me, why you would reduce rosters. I don't understand it. Yeah, here, here's the deal on the 53. And people will do this not just for the Colts, but, of course, for every team in the league, anybody who's covering them. I have, like, a, a little spreadsheet just that I keep about uh, the roster and kind of my own personal depth chart, which is, of course, entirely unofficial and, and does not matter at all in Chris Ballard's mind. But it, even even in my mind, being extremely conservative with this, there are at least... 44 or 45 people that are basically roster locks guys that would make the roster if they're not injured in any kind of preseason or training camp or whatever it is. This is very much across the league and for the Colts here in Indianapolis, a, a a process that is uh, going to impact eight to 10 players really is what it comes down to in each team. So that's like, it comes down to a lot across the league. That's like 300, 350 guys somewhere around there. But um, nevertheless, that, that, that's what we're talking about, Joe. It, it's not like uh, the, every team across the league has like 20 guys that are like, okay, you're, you're locked into the roster, you know, and then we, we really have to put in a ton of work to, to get, um, to get uh, from 21 down to 53. It, it is very much the bottom end of the roster, which is very important for those guys at the bottom end. But the, the purpose of training camp, by and large, is to get your veterans and get your returning guys and get people ready to play in a game, which is uh, it, which is not suitable to immediately come off the street and play immediately is NFL football. It's just not. Yeah. And I mean, we see who was it already this year? Debo Samuel already had a Jones fracture and um, he's he's going to miss the beginning portions of the season. So we see it every year with players who aren't quite in football shape. They get out there for the first couple of weeks and they start to get injured. That's and that's only, just in practice. Yeah. And that's just in practice. So if you start, you know, doing that to players in games, it's going to be a much worse scenario. And the NFL has advised teams that training camps are still expected to begin at the normal time that on July 28th, I believe is the date with rookies and selected players and uh, are permitted to report earlier. So that is something Mike that hasn't changed at least as of yet. But again, as, as we say, it's still a fluid situation, but July 28th is still what we're aiming for. Yeah. And just to remind everyone, it's, it's, it will be at the Colts complex. All uh, training camps will be at team complexes which naturally means no fans, limited. No, I'll say no fans. Uh, I'm thinking even the media will be very lucky to watch to watch practice. And, and, and maybe the fan base says, so what? Well, the more access the media has to practice, to players, one-on-one in a locker room setting, the better off we are, the better able we are to give fans a better look at the team. So, yes, it does matter. I can remember, it, it's funny the pro football writers, we've always, always argued for more access, more access back in the day. And and I've been there back in the day (laughs) with the Colts. We used to have total access to practice. I'm talking the threat there for two and a half hours. We're out there for two and a half hours. You could walk out onto the 50 yard line and throw a ball if you wanted to, right? You've made, you basically could. And and then 
And then this was during Napoleon Dungey era. I don't know what year it was. And New England's coming to town. And Craig Kelly, the PR guy, said, well, you know, practice is closed for Patriots week. But, you know, don't don't get upset because we'll go back to, to normal next week. Never did. Hmm. Never did. So the one, the one thing about the NFL that I've learned is, is when, when you lose it, it's really, really hard to get it back. So I tell you, maybe, maybe it's a topic for another, uh, another episode of this is access is, is paramount in the NFL because like for what I mentioned, and we're going to be uh, from a media standpoint covering teams, whether it's this team, whether it's the Pacers, whatever, we're going to be zooming quite a bit and and watching remotely because that's right now is the world we're in. Yeah, yeah, that's what the Pacers are doing right now. They just started mandatory workouts on July 1st. In these first two days, we've had uh, Nate McMillan talk day one along with Victor Oladipo and then Demonis Sabonis talk day two, all of them over Zoom. And the Pacers themselves are providing video to us because we, we can't be there. So I, I'd very much imagine that's what it's going to be like for these NFL bubbles. Like the Colts, for, for us, for TV stations, will provide video. And the Colts, for all of us, whether it's television or writers, will provide players via Zoom so that we can do interviews. There's going to be very little uh, one-on-ones in the locker room, very little opportunity for those uh, unique angles, unfortunately, because I think it do- it is a disservice to the fans to not have that. But at the same time, it's a safety issue for the players. So, um, and, and like you said, Mike, I, I really do hope that it's not something that comes to the comes to be. Hey, you lose it, and then it's gone forever. Because that that's that that's what people fight against. That's why Major League Baseball, the players were so adamant about not giving up an inch in their negotiations for this season. Because you lose something, and then in the next round of negotiations, the owners can't don't give it to you again because it's gone. So you know you understand the quote unquote plight of the workforce in terms of fighting for every inch, every scrap that you get. And that's kind of the uh, the situation the, uh, that we in the NFL media are at right now. So we, we, we realize that this is a different time, a unique time. But at the same time, uh, you, you want everything you can get for, for your benefit, for your, uh, for your fans' benefit, for your readers and subscriptions, your subscribers' benefit, your viewers' benefit, whatever it might be. So um, that, that's our, our COVID-19 update for the week, our uh, legally mandated COVID-19 <laughs> update, it seems like, recently. But uh, they, hey, hey it's, it's, it's an issue that continues to, to affect the Indianapolis Colts. So we're obviously going to talk about it on the Colts Blue Zone podcast, which you can follow on Twitter, by the way, at Colts Blue Zone. Find your Colts news throughout the week. Be sure to submit us some questions that you would like for us to answer throughout multiple cult blue zone podcasts and we'd be happy to get to those questions as well across the nfl this week a more on-field news the new england patriots have decided that perhaps going into the season with jared stidham as their starting quarterback unencumbered is not the best idea so they went out and signed cam newton former nfl mvp just a one-year deal worth with incentives i believe about seven million dollars Uh, Newton missed 14 games in 2019 due to injury. The Carolina Panthers went very much down the tubes afterward. Colts fans got a firsthand look of what that appeared to be in week 16 last year. Uh, and with Will Greyer as the starting quarterback, and that's that's not a recipe for success in the NFL, Joe. So uh, Cam Newton, now a New England Patriot, he's not scored a touchdown, Mike, in his last four games in 2019 and 2018 combined. But nevertheless, he is a former league MVP, and now that he's had an entire year to maybe rest up his broken body, rehab that together, and be uh, ready to go again. It's at least a very intriguing move and very Belichickian to bring in a former league MVP at quarterback for $7 million for one year. 
This is this is when you look in the dictionary for low risk, high reward. This is it. And it's base. It's a million dollars. If he doesn't step on a field, he gets a million dollars. And I tell you one thing. Let's say that they get him in there, and they've had to have done as much physical. I'm going to say physical medical workup as they can. But do you know where he is from the shoulder? And what, what last year was the ankle, if I'm not mistaken. So what happens if they get in there and it just doesn't work? And, he, and they say, boy, this guy's broken. But then you cut him. So that there's really, I don't know if there was a signing bonus. I don't remember seeing that. Well, no, 550000 guaranteed. So you can, you know, in NFL terms, you can walk away. But you've added, you know, it, it, it's on, on the same level, I suppose, different reasons, obviously, in different levels. But, you know, it, it's kind of like the Colts hooking their wagon to Phillip Rivers. There, there is, there's some unknown there. Not, not for injuries, obviously, but on, you know, Rivers tailed off last year. Now, Cam Newton, that's totally different. But if he is what he once was, all of a sudden, New England is a player. They, I mean, they've, they've gone from, is it Stedham? I keep, yeah, Stedham. Stedham, yeah. How, how many Super Bowls did Brady win? Six? Six Super Bowls. That's that's two more Super Bowls and Stidham has thrown passes. So mm-hmm. so the idea that they would have gone into there with Stidham as their starter was strange. But if Newton can be what he once was, MVP, Super Bowl, and in three time or four time Pro Bowler and all that stuff, all of a sudden New England's on the map as a contender for something. And I'll, I'll say this. Joe just had Cam Newton's stats uh, up there. Can you bring that up for a second just so I can look at it? Yeah. Um, there, there is obviously the notion that Cam Newton is an injury-plagued quarterback. And that is true to some extent because he shows up on the injury report and he gets hit quite a lot. But if you look at how many games he's started or how many games he's played in throughout his career, before last year, he played in 14, 15, or 16 games every year of his career. And for a quarterback, obviously you want 16 games. You really do want your starting quarterback to be in there for all 16. But uh, he was, he played in 14 games in 2018, 16, the year before that, then 15, 16, 14, first three years of his career, 16, 16, 16. So it's not like he's missing five games a year, Joe. He's not a guy that has done that throughout his career. Last year was, it, it kind of gave more credence to the idea that he is an injury riddled quarterback because in 2018, he was hurt a bunch and he still played even though he missed two games. And then in 2019, he gets knocked out basically for the entire season. So I think Cam would probably have something to say about that moniker on him and have something to prove this year that he is not as injury riddled as people think he is. Yeah. And I think it's really just the back to back injuries that have people placing this on him and and I think it's the age as well I think that has something to do with it if he was 25 I don't think people would necessarily be saying his body's broken but he is 31 years old and you know you talk about the Brady's and Breezes who played through their 40 it's a little different from Cam just because he runs so much I mean that's part of his game you look at pretty much every season except 2016 and he's well over 100 carries um, it's, it's part of, if Cam Newton's going to be the MVP type Cam Newton, we saw in 2015, he's going to need to run the ball. That's just who he is. He's not going to sit in the pocket and just tear defenses up like Tom Brady has in the past. So if he can go back out there and run the ball 120 times and take those hits again, I, I think new England, it's probably the favorite 
for the division over Buffalo. If you guarantee a healthy Cam Newton, I think I'll give that to um, New England. If, if you give me a plus 200 Buffalo in the AFC East, if we're talking uh, gambling and degeneration over here, then, then I would probably take <laughs> Buffalo plus 200 right now. But I, I, I uh, it, even odds, it, who are you taking? I, I, right now I'm still, I'm still like Buffalo just because um, for, for multiple reasons, but uh, I, I, I like their defense. New England has a really good defense too, of course, but I, I like their offensive line a little bit more than New England's offensive line right now. Um, so, so I lean Buffalo with, uh, with the, uh, the ability to change my mind at a later date when I see Cam Newton uh, actually in action. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's pretty much what it comes well, down well, to. Well, again, well, Go ahead. One thing to keep in mind, with though, is, is in his last, not last year, but the, in, in 18, I thought they really, in, in Carolina, tried to lessen the hits on, on Cam by running him less. I saw, I saw a stat, and I don't remember the number, but but he's been hit more in his career than any quarterback over that stretch. I was looking, he's been sacked 291 times in 125 games. That's 2.3 a game. That doesn't take into account the hits. Andrew Luck had 174 in 86. That's two a game. So, you know, Newton was sacked more than Luck was. And it's hard for me to believe per game that anyone was hit more than Andrew Luck. I mean, I, we we there we were there and we watched it. So ha, how will Belichick? You don't we? Can we all agree that if Newton is eighty five percent, that he's our starter? I mean, I I just can't see how oh, you yeah. don't do that. So, but do you tailor the offense to where you're not tapping into what made Newton, you know, the MVP, the the mobile, the big strong guy, and, and all that? Do they? Can you make this guy a pocket passer at this point of his career? Probably not. I mean, this is who he is. So I'm really interested to see how there's a lot of a lot of history with Belichick taking guys off, you know, the old one man's trash and is another man's treasure. Belichick is great at that with the Corey Dillons and all those guys. So I want to see how this works. But, but again, like I said, if he is a good portion of what he used to be, all of a sudden, Buffalo's got some serious competition in the East. And I think, you know, to that point, I think New England is going to change their offense quite a bit. If you remember, you know, Josh McDaniels, when he was with the Broncos, they took Tim Tebow in the first round. So Josh McDaniels is, you know, a guy who will embrace a mobile running quarterback. And I think they're going to alter the offense to fit Cam's strengths. Of course, they're going to try and get him hit as little as possible. You do that with right. any player you have. But to take advantage of what he does well, you're going to have to let him run to some extent. Well, Joe just said something nice about Josh McDaniels, so he is barred for the rest of the year on the Colts Blue Zone podcast. So, Mike, it's going to have to be you and me finishing out from here we on out. We can do it. Yep. Nevertheless, we'll move on to uh, more Colts chat. Um, and as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, we uh, want to discuss a po potential breakout player of 2020. Who in the Colts could uh, grab some eyes both here in Indianapolis or around the league and have a, a strong statistical year or maybe a, uh, a just a, a standout year for a certain reason um, and is not a rookie, as I said. Uh, rookies, you can make an argument for, of course, the first, Colts' first uh, two picks, the second-round guys, for being breakout players in 2020. 
And we, as we have talked about before, we certainly believe that both of those two guys, Pittman Jr. and uh, Jonathan Taylor, are gonna gonna get their opportunities. But outside of that, it is a roster from uh, from the front to the back uh, on both offense and defense that that has players that I believe you could consider at least for for breakout opportunities based on their past performance, based on the Colts coaching staff, based on uh, multiple things. Um, and we can we can give our takes, give our choices, and then discuss the uh, the the ins and outs, positives, negatives of all of them. So uh, I'll start us off with a breakout player in 2020. And I think for, for me, the obvious choice uh, the one that came to my mind, at least immediately, was Kamoko Ture on the defensive line. Uh, Ture had a very strong start to 2019, uh, came out, had a couple of sacks in those first few weeks, had a fantastic game in Kansas City uh, before getting hurt in Kansas City and getting hurt bad and missing the rest of the season. Um, so th- really the question for me with Kamoko Ture is, is he healthy? Um, I don't think it's can he play. Uh, he proved last year at the start of the year that that he can play, that he can be effective, that he can rush the quarterback, that he could be a disruptor in the backfield. Um, and it's been something that the Colts have lacked in, in recent years. You certainly got a taste of that from Justin Houston. Um, and if you ha- throw in Ture with uh, Houston, if he's capable like, like he was last year, you add in a DeForest Buckner in the interior that's going to steal some attention as well. Uh, I, I think Kamoka Ture could be primed to have a double-digit sack year at his best. I don't know if I would pick that necessarily going in, but I, I still think about eight and a half sacks is a very reasonable um, goal to have for Kamoka Ture, and you'd be really happy with that from your third-year defensive end who uh, who missed an entire year last year with uh, with his injury. So I, I think Ture is in there and certainly one of the prime candidates to have a breakout statistical year. And, and if you have a guy on the defensive line, who's, who's making those kind of gains, that certainly would, uh, would pump up the rest of the defense as well. You'd expect a better year for the Colts defense as a whole, but uh, Kamoko Ture is my choice. Uh, Joe, we'll go to you next and then Mike will hit you up in the end. And then we'll uh, discuss our options after you're done, Mike. So Joe, why don't you give us your choice for Colts breakout player of 2020? Yeah. Since, since you took Ture and he's a great option, if you can guarantee me 16 games, I would guarantee you double digit sacks, but I'm going to go have to go with Rocky sin. I think there's so many reasons to feel positive about this player. He played more snaps than any player on the defense last year as a rookie at cornerback, which is one of the more difficult positions to transition from college to the NFL, to the pros. It's just so much more nuanced route running. They call the game a little differently in the pros. So I, I think that's going to help you send a lot. And he showed a lot of improvement from week 10 on. Um, he had a 76.1 pro football focus coverage grade and earned a spot on their all rookie team. So it's not like he just stunk all year, his rookie season. He got better and progressed as it went along. He has that starting cornerback job on the outside lockdown. I mean, no one is challenging him for that. So I, I think Rocky sin breaks out this year, establishes himself as a, at very least an above average starter in the NFL. I'm not sure how many interceptions, you know, I don't think he ends up with eight interceptions and gets like a pro bowl or something like that. I don't think his numbers are gaudy, but I could see him getting maybe 80 tackles, four interceptions and double digit pass breakups. And that's a great season. The quarterback's always weird because uh, there, there's a point where you hope that they get, you know, like zero tackles because you hope that they're, they're never thrown to or that they, they, they always knock down the ball that's coming to them. But 
Um, I, I think for, for Rock, 80 tackles might be a little high just because he's more on the outside. I think Kenny Moore, if anyone, is going to lead the Colts cornerbacks in tackles. But at the same time, I, I, I like your point that Rock had a ton of experience last year. They threw him to the fire. They absolutely did. You can't you can't explain it any other way. They they threw him in the deep end and saw if he could swim. And there were times where he, where he was sinking, no doubt. And he came back the next week and held his head high and put his nose in and got to work again. And I, I, I admired his his attitude last year. Um, but but now comes the point where where you're a sophomore and you, your attitude doesn't matter quite as much anymore in your second year. Like in, in his situation now, he has the experience. You can't you can't have the, the type of bad week he had against Denver last year and still be um still be like, oh, okay, don't worry. You'll you'll get him next time, Slugger. Uh, And I think to some point that uh, rookies are, you're allowed to do that with with rookies. Second year guys, I I think that's out the window. So you you have to develop consistency if you're Rock Yassine and you have to, you have to, like you said, just take that next step in in his, in his career. So um, I I like your, your pick as well. We'll discuss a little bit more later. Mike, we'll go to you and see who do you think your Colts breakout player in 2020 might be. Well, it needs to be Paris Campbell. Uh, I, I, I like Ture. Uh, and one thing Ture's got going for him is uh, Justin Houston and, and DeForest Buckner. Uh, they're going to make more one-on-ones for Ture. But Paris Campbell needs – I remember we asked either Sirianni or someone about, do you, did you get a real good – You know, do, do you know what you have with Paris Campbell? And they still say no. We think we do, but we just don't know. He plays seven games, three starts, 24 targets, 18 catches. He had, if I'm not mistaken, four in-season, or at least three in-season surgeries. Uh, he, you know, in, in training camp, I believe it was a hamstring, then he has a foot, a hand, and he had that abdominal hernia surgery during the season. So, And this is a guy that, if I'm not mistaken, didn't have a lot of history at Ohio State with with issues, so I, I think with what they they want to do on offense, his numbers probably won't be off the chart, 50, 60, 70 because of the people you have out there, but he brings play potential as a slot guy. If Pittman's what you think he is, and Ty comes back, we always say that the middle of the field should be really soft for 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 a slot guy six foot 200 pounds speed i like what what i like we all like what campbell brought last year and the only person that should be more motivated on offense than this guy is ty hilton to play what would i'm just curious what would a breakout season from paris campbell look like since he's I don't want to put the gadget player label on him, but he's not, you know, a pure outside receiver. He'll take handoffs. He'll do things like that. So what for him to break out, what would you need to see from him? Good question. Again, he had 18 catches for 127. Uh, Gosh, 40, 45 catches, uh, 14 yards a catch, you know, four or five touchdowns, I guess, because we're really going to test the creativity of Sirianni and Reich because Campbell's going to be the slot guy, barring injury. That's primarily what he wants to do. And you got Naheem Hines, who may see a lot of work in the slot or as that third down receiver. But 
40, 45 catches in more of the impactful plays. You know, whether it's third and 12, moving the chains or, or the over-the-top catch and run. I think it's going to be very, very frustrating for fantasy people. And we like probably Joe. have one on this and we probably have one on this podcast <laughs> to, to, to try to target and, and involve Colts players this year. You know, you want Taylor you want Taylor or you want Mac? You want Hilton, Pittman? I mean, I, I don't know what you do from week to week. And not, as much as we all like what Naheem Hines brings. What's how many touches will he get? So again, I think 40, 45 catches, but impactful plays from from Paris Campbell. Would eight hundred yards be out of the question? Because that's about where I'm th- total yards, including rushing and receiving. Uh, I'm thinking around seven to eight hundred yards would be a good breakout season from Campbell. Would you oh, agree? I think with it'd that? be a great season. I mean, then you start again. Let's take injuries out of the equation. Uh, so to, in my in the fact that Rivers is more 18 rivers than 17 rivers. Let's give T.Y. 1,200 yards. Let's give Pittman uh, 800, I don't know, eight, seven or eight. So that's 2,000. You give Hines his 600. Yeah, I can see that. To me, that's a high end. If you're doing the over-under, I take the under just because that's a lot. Can they have three guys with 800 and more? I think Rivers has uh, had a lot of seasons like that, uh, but the, the and and they're going to run the heck out of the ball too, so I I think that's a high end. If he gets 800 yards, he will be the the breakout or the the breakout player, and not Kamoko Ture. Yeah, I I agree with that. I just think that that Paris Campbell has so many things. I hate to say working against him, but I think maybe working alongside him. Uh, is the better term right. here because there there are so many other options right now on on the offensive side of the ball for the Colts besides uh, Paris Campbell and and I agree if he gets if Paris Campbell gets 750 yards and six touchdowns that would be spectacular for him I think in uh, in this coming season that's of course assuming 16 games and health and all that stuff so um, but, but you're going to have to, and this is a question that, that I've asked and that we've shown on Fox 59, CBS4.com players response to this all summer long when Colts were doing their off season workouts is when, when, uh, players were asked on the offensive side of the ball, Hey, there are a lot of weapons over there. There's Jack Doyle and there's uh, Trey Burton who we haven't even discussed as tight ends. There's T Y trying to bounce back this year, along with uh rookie and Pittman and Paris and Zach Pascal still being a consistent guy uh, in in his um, outlet. There's you think they're going to run the ball a lot because you have Marlon Mack, a thousand yard rusher last year, and you drafted Jonathan Taylor in the second round. There are so many options on the offensive side of the ball. I think it's going to be difficult, Joe, for one player to like a Paris, Paris Campbell to really stand out. I think if you're looking players to stand out, I think T.Y. Hilton and either Jonathan Taylor or Marlon Mack are probably the three that you would consider for for standing out. Other than that, you're going to have to be really impressive to have a breakout season in my mind. Yeah, I think I would agree that T.Y. Hilton is probably the only weapon on the Colts offense with the clear established front runner role in that offense. I mean, Sirianni even said this passing game still runs through T.Y. Hilton. Um, I, I was just curious to see, you know, we say what a breakout season is. 
a breakout season for Paris Campbell might look very different from another wide receiver on another team. So, Absolutely. So I just thought it'd be interesting to see what exactly you guys were looking for. And I agree, Mike. I think if he just gives you those few big plays a game that you need, he's doing his job because that's why the Colts brought him in for those big right. plays, not to catch, you know, 10 passes, 90 yards a game. That's not the player he is. That's not his role. So quality, that, that's why I was asking about yards. Quality over quantity, I think it's what they want from a lot of their guys. Let's talk a little bit more about Rocky Seen, because I think that's an interesting choice. But, uh, Joe, at the same time, a breakout year for Rocky Seen could be a, a small stat year, you know, that he doesn't have a ton of tackles, that that he doesn't have a ton of balls thrown his way. Because that's just what it goes. That's what that's what cornerbacks are. So you might hear less about Rocky Seen in 2020, but he could have a significantly better season than he had in 2019. Yeah, I remember all those years there was Revis Island and everything, and yep. he got all the praise he did. But if you just looked at his stat sheet, you wouldn't know it because quarterbacks just straight up avoided him. I, I'm not sure he ever had more than four interceptions in a season, which is a good number. But when you start thinking about the best of all time and you're just looking out the numbers, you want to see, you know, seven or eight type interceptions. Those big years cornerbacks can sometimes have. So the numbers will not tell the story this year with Rocky Sin. It, it'll be the tape. Um, and it'll be the plays that he allows. You know, that's one of the positions that Mike always talks about. Uh, you you don't hear their name called all game and they're having a great game. And then they make the one mistake. One guy gets over the top of them and that, you know, it's all of a sudden a bad game for them. So Rocky sin, his breakout is going to look a lot different than the other Correct. players mentioned. Yeah. And, and Kamoko's, uh, I, I think his range is, is very, very fluid just because they're, they're going to rotate on the defensive line. Like they have since the beginning of Frank Reich's tenure here. And even before that, like they do across the NFL. But I, I think he has, he has the range of going anywhere between like five and 12 sacks. It's very much up in the air to me that what, what he can accomplish. And it depends on the playing time he gets and how healthy Mike, I think he is from that. It really was a devastating injury that he had last year. Well, I remember when they, we talked to Chris Ballard at some point, maybe it was the post or the, the, the season wrap up. And he said the defense really took a hit when they lost to Ray at Kansas city. He said, we lost our fastball. And all of a sudden, your 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 pass rush was Justin Houston. You know, Bandigu gave you a little bit, but but when 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 the Nico Autry sort of fell off, all you had was Houston. But now you've got Houston. That's what I say is if you want if you want a possible guy who has the stats, and again, it's funny if Terray gets ten sacks, that's going to look better than Campbell getting forty catches. Those sacks, they just they just flash at you, and they turn games around. And I think the fact he's got, if Justin Houston has another type of year like he had, uh, and, and if DeForest Buckner can do what everyone says he can do and needs to do, then it, it's all about winning your one-on-ones. And the one thing that he that Dre's got going for him is he's got one of the best teachers in the NFL in Robert Mathis. And, and if he can get, if anyone can get the best out of a guy, it, it's going to be Robert Mathis. So we'll pivot our focus now to uh, Colts postseason awards because we haven't played a single down yet. So obviously our attention should go to the postseason. But uh, all, all kidding aside, expectations for certain players are are different entering this time of year. And we've gotten into it a little bit, obviously, right now with our uh, breakout player discussion. But uh, we'll get into a uh, potential 
major award winners for the Colts. And although you might not think any Colt would win a league most valuable player award, uh, there, there is, uh, we'll, we'll discuss which player on the Colts would be most likely to win these certain awards or player who is on the Colts, like the Colts, most valuable player, the Colts offensive rookie of the year, the Colts comeback player. We'll, we'll, we'll get to all that. So, um, if you're talking most valuable player, Mike, I, I don't think you can pick anybody besides Phillip rivers because a nationally quarterbacks win this award. That's just what it is right now. You'd have to get 20, 25 sacks in order to be a defensive guy to win this award or 20 interceptions, which is uh, ungodly uh, or 3000 yards rushing. Uh, I think at this point, which doesn't happen in the NFL, but the Colts might really go for that. We'll see. But I, I would say Phillip rivers has to be your choice. If you're looking for somebody who's likely to be a most valuable player candidate. Yeah, since 1986, the non-quarterbacks, since 1986, the non-quarterbacks are... And this is not just a recent trend. This is a you know, big Ad- trend. Adrian yeah. Peterson, uh, Sean Alexander, Terrell Davis, and Lawrence Taylor, 1986. It's the last defensive player. So, so uh, and Thurman Thomas as, as well, Emmitt Smith. But defensive players just don't get it. Yeah. Uh, so it's quarterback and... Uh, I'll, on this until heck freezes over if rivers is what they think he is he will he will put up good numbers and he'll be mvp uh considered i guess certainly for the colts uh but beyond that i don't see anyone with the colts capable of being in the discussion mvp wise the the only scenario i could see for another player being in the running is if marla mack tears his ACL like week one or something. And then that whole or the majority of the rushing job then goes to Jonathan Taylor and he has a monster season close to 2000 yards and all that. But they didn't even give Todd Gurley the MVP a few years ago when he went wild. I, I think they gave it to Brady, if I'm not mistaken. Probably so pretty bitter about that. <laughs> but running backs just have to have to have you know historic seasons to even be considered these days. So I, you guys are right. It's Philip Rivers or pretty much nobody on the Colts. And heck, last year even Christian McCaffrey had a remarkable season. And with if in your case, in in the worst possible case for Marlon Mack, if Jonathan Taylor takes over early and is your primary back. You still have Naheem Hines, who's going to be doing a lot of the third down work, a lot of the ball catching out of the backfield. So that's still going to take a chunk out of out of his production that other running backs across the league would get. To your point, so well, and, yeah, and, yeah. And, and, but that and that's one thing they, the the second category will come to is offensive player of the year. Right. You you can be the best offensive player and not be the MVP. They they they, they they're they're different descriptions. And I, I can see a quarterback being the MVP because he has the ball every play. Yet an yet a receiver, probably a Calvin Johnson type season, or a running back be the offensive player of the year, but not the MVP. So we'll go to offensive player of the year, Joe. Who do you think is uh, most like a likely offensive player of the year capable from the Colts? <laughs> If we keep going with my Marlon Mack injured scenario, John, <laughs> Jonathan Taylor for all of these. What did Marlon Mack ever do? I, to you? I love Marlon Mack, but but I'm just saying in that backfield for one player to get the stats to be considered, one's going to have to go. Um, I, I think it's T.Y. Hilton, though, because he, he has that clear defined role as the top guy in the offense. Um, I mean, a wide receiver, one offensive player of the year last year with Michael Thomas. Is T.Y. Hilton going to break the receiving record? Absolutely not. 
But um, he's led the NFL in receiving before. I think he can do it again. Uh, I think 1,300 yards and close to 10 touchdowns is not out of the realm of possibility for T.Y. Hilton. Um, so at very least, that would make him probably the Colts offensive player of the year. And he'd get some consideration for the NFL. Mike, T.Y. has never hit 10 touchdowns in a year, has he? I no, don't think he's he had like seven. Yeah, I think his much. tops is like seven, which is, which is amazing. It is. He and, was on a great pace last year. I think he had five in the first five games. Something, something like that. Like yeah. That. Mm-hmm. So. And then uh, things did not go so well for T.Y. Hilton down the stretch the last year. Well, yeah, we will. Let, let, let me look, let me look here real, real quick. T.Y. Hilton's career high is um, seven. It is seven. And he had, so, yeah, he had, if he, you're right. Yeah. He, had, he had five early last year and was on pace for a pretty good season. And then it just the wheels literally came off. And he, he uh, didn't so, have he only had five all of last year. Like correct. just stopped catching them. Yeah. Correct. Fortunately. But yeah, I Joe, I'd agree with Joe that T.Y. Hilton would be offensive player of the year, capable, assuming people stay healthy and, and all that. I think I think that that he's your pick. And as Nick Sirianni said, Mike, this offseason, the offense still runs the passing game still runs through T.Y. in spite of the other guys that you have around there, in spite of the other weapons that you have that that I just said a couple minutes ago, like there's a lot of weapons. There's a lot of options for Philip rivers, but T Y Hilton is still option one. And that's, that's going to be the case as long as he's healthy. Correct. So that that's our offensive player of the year. How about defensive player of the year? I, I think that Darius Leonard is your, your obvious choice as a defensive player of the year. If he remains healthy and still have like 150 tackles, he it's, that's not an unreasonable expectation. Um, if Darius, he, he's shown the ability to take the ball away the past couple of years. He has been a blitzer the past couple of years from time to time. So he will get a couple of sacks. He should get a couple of takeaways, whether it's fumbles, forced fumbles, interceptions. He had a couple interceptions last year, returned for touchdown against uh, uh, Jay Boo, Jameis Winston, and uh, Tampa Bay. Uh, but I, I think that there, there's no one better to pick for a potential defensive player of the year candidate. That is one of Darius Leonard's goals, as we all know. For, uh, for his career is to be defensive player of the year. And so I, I think if you're looking at the Colts defense, you would be hard pressed to find somebody else who is uh, more deserving of a defensive player of the year honor than him. Yeah, I went back and looked at the, what was it? Uh, he became the first player since at least 1982 to have 10 sacks in five plus interceptions in his first 25 games. That's what, that's what gets you awards. That's what gets you the elite awards is, is yes, but it's those impactful plays, interceptions, sacks, forced fumbles, recoveries, and, and that's what this game's all about. And if he continues to get those fat stat lines and win games and close out games, the only other player that, in my mind, that would have a chance, I suppose, is Justin Houston, only because, again, it would be a, it would be a sack-driven award. I don't know that DeForest Buckner could could give you an Aaron Donald type season to where he may not have just the sheer numbers, but his impact. So I would say Leonard would number two, maybe Justin Houston. If but that that would take 15, 16 sacks in consideration. Yeah, I I I, I agree with you. If Justin Houston's gonna win defensive player of the year, he's gonna have to come up with more sacks than Aaron Donald. And it's hard to see Correct. that happening. Um, the last time a linebacker won defensive player of the year was Luke Keekley in 2013. He had 156 tackles, four interceptions, and two sacks. I think Darius Leonard 
can absolutely manage those numbers, if not better. Um, I've kind of been arguing that he should have been more in the running for defensive player of the year, his rookie year, um, because the stat line he put up was just ridiculous. But I think we all agree Darius Leonard is the most likely to win defensive player of the year on the Colts. And then he wasn't even named to the Pro Bowl his rookie year. Didn't even know the Pro Bowl. Yes. Ridiculous. Darius still hangs on to that, too. As he should, but he did get all pro, which in my mind is above a pro bowl. Absolutely. Absolutely. So gunning for all of them in in 2020. So that's a most valuable player, offensive player of the year, defensive player of the year, offensive rookie of the year. I think this will be an interesting discussion because there are several options, obviously. Uh, Mike, who do you think would be most likely to win an offensive rookie of the year award for the Colts? I'll go against you. I'm going to say Pittman. I, I I just until I see how they share Mac and Taylor, I don't know that Taylor will have. I, I think Taylor's going to be more of the impactful running back. I think he'll have the better yards per attempt, maybe more touchdowns. But it's lined up for Pittman to be that number two guy, and they're going to throw enough to where he can get the decent numbers. I don't. Know. I think we talked the the the, the team record for. Catches by a rookie is 65, I think. Uh, and I think in a good year with 16 starts, he can get 60, 65 catches. Yeah, if, if I'm going next, I'm going to go with Jonathan Taylor just because. Well, you've got Mac missing half the season. Exactly. Yeah, Joe has him out week one for crying out loud. Hey. <laughs> That was a specific scenario. No, no. If I wanted to get real crazy, I'll say Rivers and Brissett both get COVID and Jacob Eason just goes nuts. There you go. Um, Jacob Eason. No. No Chad Kelly? Not Chad Kelly. He's not a rookie. Come on, Mike. Come on. Um, No, Chad Kelly's probably not going to make the team. I I have to admit that. But I I got Taylor. I think out of him or Pittman, who has a better chance of hitting 1,000 yards, I think it's still Taylor, even with Marlon Mack involved. Um, and, and same with double-digit touchdowns. I, I think, you know, Jonathan Taylor has probably got about 15 pounds on Marlon Mack. So when they're in the red zone and they need somebody to get that one yard, I think they're going to turn to Taylor more times than not. So I'll go with Jonathan Taylor, but it's pretty close because, like you said, Mike, Taylor has a more defined role in the offense. Yeah, I, I mean, Pittman, Pittman has more defined right. role. I, I lean toward Taylor uh, just because I'm more intrigued by him. And and I even, like I've said on this podcast before, I tweeted out during the combine, well before I knew where Jonathan Taylor was going, that I thought he was going to be a steal wherever he was taken in the draft. And like I, I really fell in love with, with the guy then. And um, not not just then I'd seen him play, obviously, over over the years at Wisconsin, because here we are in Big Ten uh, territory. But he really opened my eyes at the combine. And I really think that he he has the potential to be a tremendous running back. And so I, I lean toward him. But but Pittman will be given every opportunity, uh, as Mike said, to to be that to be that guy, to be that second um, receiver. I just don't know if he's going to be able to um to, to really separate himself from everybody else who is kind of gunning for that spot as well. How about defensive rookie of the year? This is, uh, I'm <laughs> his head. Now, I'll, t- I'll tell you my, my shoe in defensive rookie of the year. That is undrafted free agent. Kendall Coleman out of Syracuse university and cathedral, of course, Indy's zone, Kendall Coleman, the NFL's defensive rookie of the year in 2020 Mark it down. Can he make it from the practice squad? Yes. I, I look at I, I was looking at the list, 
and they drafted three defensive rookies. Is that right? And the, Julian Blackman. I think. That, oh yeah. Four. Yeah. I, I, I would. I would almost take Glasgow because I think he's going to be a special teams right terror. But Glasgow. that's not what we're talking about. So I'm picking Isaiah Rogers just because. I because I've got no other choice because Blackman. They basically told us Julian Blackman's going to be sort of not ready until what, October, November. I don't know. So because of the injury, so th- this is a this was a strange draft to where they've kind of almost alternated year to year on on what areas they fortify. And th- this was a pretty uh, meager. Uh, you know, Blackman's a future, very thin uh, defensive draft. Yeah, not a lot of good options to go with. I don't think any of these defensive rookies are going to get a lot of playing time. If I'm trying to envision a scenario, I guess maybe Blackman gets on the field in early to mid-October and at that safety position, you know, Gathers is gone now. I think if he's healthy and can get caught up to speed, he could get some playing time. Um, the other How many S was that? How many S was that? Four or five? There's a lot of them all strung together if, in about 10 if seconds. If this happens and if that happens. And... Well, I mean, how many Fs would Isaiah Rogers <laughs> need to get on the field and have a good, a good season? Good point, yeah. Um, this, like you said, not a very defensive-heavy draft, so we don't have to spend a ton of time on this question. Right. But I think if any defensive player flashes at all or has any opportunity, that's – That'll be a great positive sign for the Colts. Yeah, uh, Robert Windsor, the defensive tackle, another draft pick out of Penn State. I'm sorry, and, there's four. I'm sorry. Yeah, yep. Right, right, right. That was uh, who, who we were missing out there. But like I said, Kendall Coleman, not number one in in, in my heart uh, from from today onward. But uh, comeback player of the year. I touched on Kamoko Ture earlier in the show. Don't need to talk too much more about him. I think if he meets expectations for this year, he could certainly be a comeback player of the year candidate. You know the way the way the league operates. Comeback player of the year. It's normally that big injury that a guy comes back from, a J.J. Watt type. He's had three or four major ones. But but if Rivers goes for 4,500 yards and takes the Colts deep in the playoffs, he will get some push. But from from when I look at more from a Colts angle, I, I would go with, with a Campbell or a Terre because they've got further to come with, with what they were not able to do last year. Joe? Surprised no one mentioned T.Y. Hilton. I mean, you yeah. talk about a guy who had point. a bad year because of injury. Uh, if T.Y. comes back and has 1,300 yards, I think he would be in the running for comeback player of the year. That's a good uh, point. Yeah, You're right. That's a good point. How about Walter Payton, man of the year? The Colts nominee last year was Pierre Desir, who is no longer on the roster. Um, I, I think somebody who might get um, nominated for that this year um, is Jacoby Brissett because I see him out all the time, whenever the uh, the Colts community is tweeting pictures of players, uh, whether whatever they're doing in the community, he he is everywhere every week, and um, I, I think that they will they will give Jacoby Brissett some love here and and make them his, the Walter Payton Man of the Year nominee. That that's my thought right now. If either of you have anything else, any other thoughts, go ahead. Uh, it's a good point. I, I would I I would I like Kenny Moore. I like mm-hmm. what Kenny Moore does. Uh, on the field and and in the community, he's he would be my choice. But uh, I understand what you're talking about with Jacoby. Yeah, I, I think Jacoby's a, a great pick because I, I think they would, you know, everything that's happened to him, he gets a starting job. 
pretty much taken away. I think kind of show him a little extra love through this would be a great opportunity. And he puts in the work. He does a lot off the field as well. Um, Kenny Moore is another great option. Um, both of those guys do a lot away from football to help. Last one, assistant coach of the year. There's a couple of good good options. I think Marcus Brady, a quarterback, could be a, a, a good choice if Phillip Rivers ha, has has a good year, a bounce-back year, quote-unquote. He looks more like 2018 than 2019. I think there's a lot that's going to be put on Tom Rathman um, with, with the running backs, for sure, because you imagine that they're going to have a pretty good running season. So if you're looking at a, quote-unquote, assistant, uh, assistant coach of the year award across the league, you're going to look at stats. You're going to look at numbers. And I think that numbers-wise, it's going to be significant the way that they run the football between Marlon Mack and um, and Jonathan Taylor. So I think Tom Rathman, if things go according to plan, will get some some push at the end of the year for that award. That's one thing. Again, this is just crazy talking. What it, was it? July second. Yep. But but let's That's not rule out. Let's not rule out a pair of thousand-yard rushers. It's it's possible. Yeah. I mean, they they, re- they really could have. If they're able to give each guy, you know, at certain times uh, enough carries, I go back to 2006 when Adai and, and Dominic Rhodes. The most amazing thing about that season is both guys played 16 games. So if both of these guys play 16 games, I think I think one of them will get there certainly, and one will challenge for a thousand. Maybe they're at 800, 850. If they do that, if they're able to do what they want to do, running the ball. I would give Rathman some push. And then on top of that, if he can really cut into uh, Taylor's uh, f- fumble issues at Wisconsin. Yeah, I, I got to go with Rathman as well. You talk about specific position groups th- that are, you know, could have a huge breakout. You look at the Colts and it's definitely running back with Taylor and Mac. Um, thousand yards is certainly possible. I would love to see that happen, although it's unlikely. So I got to go with Rathman as well. That'll wrap up another edition of the Colts Blue Zone podcast. If you want to help us out, please leave us a review on iTunes. Let them know what you think about us. Uh, Mostly let them know what you think about Joe putting uh, Marlon Mack up on his Mount Rushmore of hated Colts alongside Adam Vinatieri. Adam Vinatieri, right. Is that that my new hated Colt this year, Marlon Mack? We got two more to go, so we'll we'll find out who else is on Joe's, uh, Joe's Mount Rushmore later in the year. But nevertheless, that'll wrap things up for today. Once again, like I said, you can follow us on Twitter at Colts Blue Zone. You can follow Joe at Roto Street Joe for fantasy advice as well. Mike Chappell is at mchappell 51 I am at Dave G underscore sports. We thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time on the Colts blue zone podcast. 